Thank you, Gordon and Barbara, for our music this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. We are in Philippians chapter 2 today. As a matter of fact, we'll be in the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 2 for three weeks. I'm going to call it a mini-series, if I can, on the example of Christ in our life. And we're in the first four verses where Paul uses this example of uh, Christ for our sake. Now, this letter of uh, Philippians, uh, Paul wrote while he was in prison, and he sent it to the uh, Philippian church by Timothy, who's mentioned in verse 19. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. And also Epaphroditus in verse 25, I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. So Paul sends a letter by these men and to see how the church is doing, and they bring him back word about how they are doing. And there is some good and there's some bad. In uh, chapter 4 and, and verse 10, there's good news. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care of me has flourished. But there's also some not so good news, like in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, where two uh, ladies in the church, Yodio and, uh, Yodia and Syntyche, are not of the same mind in the Lord. They're having a little problem among themselves, and uh, Paul knows that. And so he deals with that situation. So in dealing with the church like this, the greatest thing he can do is give us the example of Jesus Christ himself. How is Jesus in situations like this? And that's what we have in chapter 2 from verse 1 through verse 11. Uh, it's interesting that in this particular passage, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, where we have this great example of Christ, we also have one of the greatest theological passages on Jesus Christ that we have in the New Testament. We have this uh, passage of his incarnation, his humiliation and death, and even his exaltation, especially from verse 5 to verse 11. Those will be the next two passages, the next two messages that I bring to you on, uh, on those great theological truths. It's, kind of, it's called the kenosis passage. You might remember that word because in verse 7, if you're looking down there, it says of Jesus Christ, he made himself of no reputation. That, all, that comes from one word in the original language, which means he emptied himself. As a matter of fact, I have a, a footnote in my Bible. You probably do, too. He emptied himself of his privileges. And so the example of Jesus Christ is that he left his throne in heaven and came to this earth to die for us, to be a servant, to set aside the privileges that he once had to do this for us. That becomes our great example. Now, in chapter 1 of this book, uh, Paul is, is very much single-minded. He's talking about the gospel. As a matter of fact, uh, if there are five times he mentions the gospel in chapter 1. Verse 5, your fellowship in the gospel. Verse 7, your, your confirmation of the gospel. And verse 12, the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 17, the defense of the gospel. And then in verse 27 that Kent mentioned a few minutes ago, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're to be striving together for this. So he begins to tell us how we can do that in the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace, 
uh, we as the people of God can strive together in unity to be like Christ. Now, I love this book. I, I think you probably do, too. When you read through the New Testament books, this, this is a wonderful book. I, I think uh, Philippians was to Paul kind of what 1 John was to John. You know, just that personal, down-to-earth type of books that, that talks to you about you and your problems, like James is to James. I mean, you know, the, the book of James deals with us personally like that. It is this, it's practical living based on deep theological truths. And if we're going to have real practical living in our Christian life, it's got to be based on Scripture. It's got to be based on, on theological truth. So now, in verses 1 through 4, we're going to have some application first. This is kind of interesting. Usually you have the explanation and then the application, but we have application and then in verse 5 through 11, the explanation, the doctrine. And then after that, if we would go on from verse 12, we would have more application of these things. So notice that uh, when we get to chapter, verse 5 of chapter 2, which we'll start next week. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What is he saying there? Jesus Christ as the Son of God, did a certain thing for us, and that thing was right and true, and it becomes our example. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, he starts that, that uh, action of what we're to do in verse 1, as we'll see in just a minute. So if you'll uh, find in your bulletin, you, you have, by the way, um, uh, four points there, and if you're looking on the screen, it's just to the left of the screen. And, and here's the interesting thing about these four uh, verses. There are four thoughts here, and as we will see plainly, in every verse, all four verses, there are four clear thoughts in each verse. So I've got 16 uh, minor points and four major points, so I've got a lot, a lot to cover here in just a, a short amount of time. But I gave you the major ones, but I'll try to make it point uh, clear if you'd like to write down the minor things. Here are four things we need to learn. Four verses that have these four thoughts in each one. So the first thought is this. We need to learn how to rest in Christ. Look at verse 1 with me. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any, affection and mercy. You see those four clear thoughts there. He does that in all of these verses. Notice four times he says if, right? A little word if. Now, he also says if there is this in Christ, right? If there's any consolation in Christ. Well, you know what? You are in Christ. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in Christ. And actually, he could have repeated that statement after each one, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love in Christ, if any fellowship of the Spirit in Christ. And of course, there is. But also, don't take the if as if, well, maybe there is and maybe there isn't. As someone said, really, you could translate it with the word because. You could say because there is consolation in Christ and because there is comfort of love and so forth. So, uh, you know, if I said, well, we're going to have church today if it doesn't snow 10 feet, well, there's a, there's a 
maybe a time when we would and a time when we wouldn't. But if I said we're going to have church today if the sun comes up, then you know we're going to have church. And what he's saying here is if there's any consolation in Christ, well, of course there is. And you need to find it and you need to practice it in your life. So notice in this, in how, how to rest in Christ, first of all, we have to rest in his consolation. Is there consolation in Christ? Well, of course there is. Paraclesis. Do you remember that Jesus is often described as our paraclete? Do you remember that, that expression? You, you remember that Greek word? The paraclete, the advocate, 1 John uh, chapter 2. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's, he's the lawyer. He's the one who stands beside us, and he covers our case. He forgives us of our crimes. He forgives us of our sins. Is that not consolation? Is that not comfort? We're also told in John 14 that the Holy Spirit is a, an advocate, a paraclete. He's also the one that comes and dwells inside us. And he does that because of what Jesus did, and he ascended back to the Father so that the Holy Spirit could come and live within us. Is there any consolation in Christ? Yes, there is. And what this means, folks, is that you can rest assured in your salvation. You are in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is your advocate, and the Holy Spirit is your advocate. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Jesus Christ represents you before the Father. You can rest assured in your faith. There's comfort in that. There's consolation in that. But look, secondly, that he uses this word comfort. So he says, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love. Is there comfort of love? <laughs> yes, there is. Listen, listen to what he said in 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17, to that church, he said, Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us, listen, an everlasting consolation and good hope in Christ, then comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. If there's consolation, then there has to be comfort. Because consolation brings assurance and assurance brings comfort. Are you afraid that Christ might cast you off sometime? Are you afraid that your sin, which comes into your life, would cause you to lose your salvation? No, because you have assurance, and that assurance brings comfort. And so is there comfort of love in the Lord Jesus? There certainly is. You know, I think there are two times when a person can be very uncomfortable and it's when he has no assurance. One is when that person is lost and that person knows that he needs Jesus Christ as Savior, but he's putting it off and he's refusing it, resisting it, and the Holy Spirit is working on him. If you remember back to the time when you received Christ as Savior, there was no more uncomfortable time in your life than just before you got saved. You, you know what the Holy Spirit did to you. You know how powerful the Word of God was to you. And, and you needed that consolation and comfort. And you received Christ as your Savior. And boy, that came in. And immediately, the consolation and comfort was there. You know, the other time that is very uncomfortable is if in your Christian life, you have ever lacked assurance of your salvation. 
and it's from bad doctrine, but sometimes believers do, right? Uh, especially young uh, believers, and they go through a time when they think, oh, no, maybe I've lost it. Oh, no, maybe I'm not truly saved. And again, they're back to that wrestling and, and wondering, and it's a, it's a very terrible time in a person's life. And then God brings you that assurance and teaches you from his word that you are truly his, and boy, it brings that consolation and comfort again. Is there any consolation in Christ? Yes. Is there any comfort of love? Yes. Thirdly, how about fellowship of the Spirit? Is there fellowship of the Spirit? You know the word koinonia, don't you? You know that that's, that's the word fellowship. Again, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion or fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's the way he ends the two books to, to the Corinthians. Fellowship of the Spirit. The, the love of Christ the, the, and the grace of Jesus Christ and the communion of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you, bearing witness with you, giving you assurance, telling you that you are saved, giving you the power to live the Christian life. Is that not fellowship? It really is. Let me ask you this. Do, do you ever fret? You know, the Bible uses that word fret. Do you ever worry? Do you have times of anxiety in your life? Maybe you say, not me, I'm, I'm strong. I never have those kinds of things in my life. I want to tell you something. I do. I, I, I have those times. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, you have your own testimony about it, but for me, those times come, uh, unfortunately, about one or two in the morning. <laughs> you know, and you wake up, and then some thought comes into your head about some discussion you had, and you offended somebody. <clears throat> Or, or some problem somebody has and it's unsolved. Or something, excuse me, in your life that, that uh, just not done yet, not finished yet, and you all of a sudden are awake. You have those times? And you know what God does with me? He takes me out of bed into the other room where no one is, and I get down on my knees and for a few minutes say, Lord, take this away from me. And, you know, the Bible says, and he gives his beloved sleep. Well, that's what I need, Lord. And uh, give me that sleep. And you go back and things quiet down. I don't know about you, but I have a bunch of memory verses that I'm going to go over each day anyway. So I just start through them, and sure enough, I go right to sleep. <laughs> so so if, when you, we all have those times of fret and worry. We need the fellowship of the Spirit that just says, come apart with me and let me heal that for you. How about affection? Is there any affection and mercy? I know in the older version, it's the expression bowels of mercy, bowels and mercy. You know why? Because this word, Greek word, you pronounce splankna, and it kind of sounds like that. But in the old world, where this language comes from, the, the emotions, the seat of emotion was more in the gut than in the heart. You know, we speak about it more in the heart or even in the mind. But in those days, you know, we, we kind of say, well, how do you know that? Well, I just feel it in my gut. Sometimes we, we say that. We're using that same expression, splankna. I, I love that word. Sounds so great. We had it in chapter 1 and verse 8 of Philippians. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the Splankna of Jesus Christ with the affection we have it in the new version or the bowels of mercy in the old version. And so 
excuse me, we, we have, I, as a matter of fact, in, in Colossians, uh, just over a little ways, and in Colossians uh, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 3 and verse 12, notice, notice this. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. That's that same word, tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. That's the affection. That's the splankna, if you will, uh, that, that uh, he's talking about here. I experienced that this week in, in kind of a unique way. Uh, on Wednesday night, I was telling our, our folks about our little uh, second grader up in, our grandson up in Minneapolis. A little girl in his second grade class died of, of uh, cancer. She had brain surgery that didn't work, and she passed away. And uh, it's the second child that has died in his life in the last year, one from an accident and now this little girl. So they had the funeral in the church up there on Friday, and Ann and I were watching it live stream, watching the funeral. You know, there are just times when you see something like that and you see the pictures of that little girl smiling and you see that pretty little face and something just happens inside you, right? It, it, all, it makes you want to tear up. It makes you kind of get a lump in your throat. And, and I had that feeling. I watched that and realized my little grandson is, 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 you know, that's a friend of his, and he's there in that service, and boy, it just kind of got a lump in my, in my chest. Well, that, that is that splankna. That's that affection that you, we have for one another uh, in the Spirit and in the love of Christ. John Walvard, in going through this first verse, summarized the whole verse this way. He said, A Christian who is exhorted by Christ, encouraged by the knowledge of his love, experiencing the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and possessing a true heart of compassion and attitude of mercy, he says, is equipped to realize spiritual unity. Where does the unity of Christ come from? It comes from these characteristics that we see in these verses, especially in verse 1. Move on with me to verse 2. How do we have joy? Paul says here, fulfill my joy. And how do we do that? By being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and being of one mind. I can identify with Paul here. It's my joy, he says. He He's the one that came to Philippi and preached the gospel and people got saved and a church was formed. He, he's their pastor he was for a while. He, he's their uh, uh, representative and, and uh, to this church. He's their brother, as a matter of fact. And here's, here's a, a unique thing about Paul. He's in prison writing this book. He's jailed in Rome. And he is writing this letter to people who are free people up in Philippi. And so the guy in jail who's under a death sentence is the one who's encouraging the people who are free and can do what they want to do. Isn't that kind of interesting? Uh, that's the way. You know, I, I've been reading a lot of uh, church history this year and some old books that I haven't read in a while. And I read about those martyrs and I read about those Christians who went through terrible times and many of them died for their faith. And they're being an encouragement to me and I'm not experiencing any of those things. It's just kind of the way it is sometimes. So he says, he says, you're my joy if you do these things. Notice what they are. 
again, there are four things in this verse. Two of them have to do with sameness, and two of them have to do with oneness. So if you look at the first one where he says, verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, and then he says, secondly, of the same love. Now, both expressions are the same in that language. So he says, of the same mind, and also be of the same love. We need to be of the same mind in this church. We need to be of the same mind among brothers and sisters. He says, in your church in Philippi, you need to be of the same mind and of the same love. Then he's going to go to the word one, one accord, one mind. But in these two, he says, you, you have to be together in your thinking. You have to be together in your love. Let me show you an example of this in, in chapter 4 again, verse 1 here of Philippians, in that problem that these two ladies in the church had. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved, Verse 2, I employ, see this word, euodia, you and odia, and I employ syntyche to be of, here's our same expression, of the same mind. You see that first word? Now, if you have a new little granddaughter coming along, here's a good name for her. I think, uh, you know, one of those old names you could, you could uh, suggest to your kids or something. Always when you see a E-U, in an English word, it means good, like eulogy, good words. Uh, E-U means good, and then odia means odious. It means odor. Or in other words, this, the, her name means good odor, or to put it better, fragrance. Her name means a good fragrance. And, you know, he's saying, live up to your name. Be, be of one mind by being a good fragrance with your friends and with other people. I think he's kind of playing on that name, but, but that name is important. So this one-mindedness is all throughout this book. Chapter 2, verse 5, again, let this mind be in you. Look at chapter 3 and four, uh, 15 and 16. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And verse 16, to the degree that you have already attained, let us walk by the same mind or same rule and let us uh, be of the same mind. So the sameness of mind is important. And secondly, the sameness of love is important. Having the same love, agape. We know that word agape, of course, is a Christian word. It was almost invented for the, for the New Testament. We might not even have the word agape if it weren't for the New Testament. It wasn't in the Greek language much before that. But we need to not only think in the same way with the same mind, we need to love in the same way as believers. Again, if you go back over to chapter 3 and verse 17, he begins that verse with the word brethren. Brethren, join in following my example. So folks in this church, we need to have some sameness and the sameness is we're of the same mind and we're of the same love. Now, sameness is one thing, and then oneness evidently is a little different. So he says in the rest of verse 2, being of one accord, and he uses mind again, but not, not this time the same mind or like mind, but of one mind. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Well, one accord means, that word accord means soul. Literally, it's one-souled. 
How can you be of one soul with somebody else? Be of the same soul that that person is. In Pentecost, this expression was used, they were in one accord in one place. There before the Holy Spirit came on, at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, they were one-souled with one another. In their persecution, in their belief, when the whole world seemed to be against them, they were of one soul. And then of one mind also, uh, the same emphasis on one this time. Now, uh, here, here's a, a, a verse in Romans 15, 5 and 6. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded, same-minded, toward one another, according to Jesus Christ, that you may be of one mind and one mouth, glorifying God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one thing to have the sameness. It's another thing to have the, the, the uh, uh, oneness together. I thought, well, how, how can we express that? Well, here's how we can have sameness. We're, we're of the same right here in this auditorium this morning. We come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the same Savior. We have the same faith. We, we have the same God. We have the same Scripture. We have a lot of sameness, and it's important. As a matter of fact, it's required even in a church that we, be, that we have a lot of sameness. But we also need to have oneness. And so you know what happens in this congregation of same people? Gordon comes up or Kent comes up and says, Stan, turn to page so-and-so, and all of a sudden, out of our mouth comes oneness, comes, comes the one voice from the congregation. I think that's just kind of a, a good way to express it. So for a few minutes, we're all with one voice expressing the one thing that we believe, and that's what's written on that page. And so there's a little difference there, but yet it's important to Paul to make that kind of difference. We might look at it this way. Uniformity is from without, but unity is from within. We have to have uniformity. You know, the church is an organization, but also the church is an organism. We're not just organized to bring us together. We're an organism that lives and breathes together. And that's what a local church should be like. Your family is kind of an illustration of that. Your family has a certain physical tie because you're born uh, uh, to the same parents and the rest. But a church has those spiritual ties. We're, we're born of the same spirit to the same God and believe in the same Savior. Let's have, let's have the same mind, but let's be of one mind and one mouth. So how do we have joy like that? Just uh, to bring joy to our lives. And so uh, go with me then to the third uh, verse and the third thing that we have here, the third thing that we have to learn. How is it that we, how is it that we think of others? So he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. By the way, here are the negatives, and then here are a couple positives. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. There's a couple negatives here uh, that need to be followed. And, and uh, I think, uh, you, you know, Warren Wiersbe said it this way, the secret of joy, from the last verse, in spite of circumstances is a single mind. The secret of joy in spite of people is a submissive mind. 
If you're going to have joy among people, you need to be submissive to one another. You need to think of each other the right way. So here's a couple negatives uh, that he gives us first. First is uh, not by strife. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition is the new version, strife uh, the old version. Uh, and this, this, does, this is the enemy of unity. This strife is fighting among yourselves. Listen to what James said about it in James 3. If you have bitter envying and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. And so we can't have that among ourselves uh, and still have the unity of the Spirit. It's a negative. The other is conceit or vainglory. You might have it in your translation. It means empty glory, the word literally. Don't have empty glory. You know, we have a lot of empty glory in our lives. We glory in ourselves. We glory in our actions. We glory in what we do. And uh, a lot of it is just empty. Galatians 5.26 says, Let's let us not be desirous of vain glory, empty glory, provoking one another, envying one another. That happens a lot, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, look back over at chapter 3 again, verse 18 this time. For many walk of whom I have told you often and tell you now, they, uh, uh, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, whose end is destruction whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame. That's all empty glory. Who set their mind on earthly things. I mean, the world is full of that kind of thing, folks, and we don't need it, frankly, uh, that kind of selfish glory. Well, look at the two positives. Back to chapter 2 and verse, and verse 3 again. So what should we do? But in lowliness of mind lowliness of mind. Boy, if you, wanna, if you want some words that don't fit into today's culture, here are some words that don't fit in. Lowliness of mind? Esteem others better than yourself in this day of self-esteem and building yourself up and all of that? Boy, Paul would not fit in uh, in much of today's culture. Now, again, I'm defining words today, I know. But lowliness of mind is one word in that language, and it's a combination of two common words that make up a word that only appears once in the New Testament. Lowliness is the word of tapestry, tapano. It means a tapestry is a rug that you put on the floor. You can pick it up and put it on the wall. Let the brother of low degree rejoice when he's exalted, but the rich when he's made low. So that word lowly comes from the word tapestry, or we would say a rug. What does a rug do? You walk on it. It comforts your feet. It picks up your dirt and dust. Uh, it kind of receives all of that. Uh, and I like one at my house, by the way. I walk around barefooted, and boy, I step on that rug, and I say to myself, this really feels good, <laughs> you know. We like something under our feet like that. But that word tapestry, then, is attached to the word for mind. Can you have a lowly mind? Can you think of yourself in that way? And those two words together make up one long word, and this is the only place in the New Testament that that word uh, is used. And it becomes, if you will, a divine antidote for division. 
If you if we can have if we can see ourselves as comforters of others, if we can see ourselves just you know putting away the self glory, putting away the interest for ourselves, because that person needs some comfort, that will bring unity. That's how we need to think of others. Romans twelve three. I say through the grace given to me, Paul said, to everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. That's the way we need to think. Now, one last thing is selflessness at the end of uh, the verse, and I, I make it a separate thought. Esteem others better than yourself. Others better than you. Andrew Murray said, The humble person is not one who thinks meanly of himself. He is simply does not think of himself at all. <laughs> That's what Murray said. You think of the other person. Others better than yourself. That's not easy to do. I want to finish up on that story I told you about our little uh, Isaiah, second, year, second grader in Minneapolis, whose little friend died and they had the funeral this week, somehow that little boy has, you see this in children. I, I know I'm talking about my own grandson, but you see it in yours too. That little girl who, who had a handicap because her brain was, had been uh, uh, operated on and so forth, couldn't do a lot of things. So little Isaiah just took it upon himself to carry her books at school. And they have an elevator that goes between the floors, and he would go in with her and push the buttons on the, on the elevator. And it just kind of, and, and when I saw those pictures of that little girl and thought of Isaiah, just he, he, he felt sorry for her, I guess, as a little one. Said, I'm going to help you out. She died, and here's a funeral. And the next day, they all had to go back to school. And he noticed that one of the girlfriends of hers, a little, another little girl, was in tears most of the day. So he took the time that day to help that little girl <laughs> because she, she had that heartache of, of losing her friend. Now, how does a little second grader have that? I don't know. But I think he has a lot more than sometimes we adults have, doesn't he? In, in sympathizing and, and, and putting yourself out for somebody else's comfort. So how do we think of others? Not by strife, not by conceit, but by lowliness of mind and selflessness. And then we have one more thing, and that's in verse 4. Let each of you then look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. A couple things here. Not on your own interests. How much time during the day do you spend looking at your own interests? And how much time do you spend looking at the interest of others? Colossians 3 says, If you be raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Because things of the earth will go away. When we look next week at verse 7 of this same chapter, he made himself of no reputation. We're going to see the example of Jesus Christ himself who, who did that. Now, it, you remember it was Jim Elliott who died on the mission field as a martyr who said, a man is no fool who gains what he cannot uh, keep, or, or excuse me, who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You're not a fool to do that. 
And what the Bible is saying is, so are you in the business of gaining for yourself in this life and it's all going to be burnt up someday? Are you in the business of, of gaining now eternal things that you'll never lose? That's what the Bible is, is, is encouraging us to do here. And folks, serving is simply always being on duty. You know that as a parent when you had little children around, around the home, right? You're never off duty. You're, you're always on call. And a servant never was off duty. A servant was always on call. And we are on call uh, to the need of others. So don't look on, on your own things. Look on the need of other things. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore comfort each other, edify one another. And I want to I take you to the example of Jesus washing feet. In, in John chapter 13, let, let's kind of end up with this picture, if you will. Here is the Lord of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth. And they're in this upper room, and dinner is done. And the God of all the universe in the body, in the fleshly body, the Lord Jesus Christ, begins to wash the disciples' feet. John 13 says, and he said, If I then, your Lord and teacher, this is Jesus talking to them, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, let me put this footnote in there. He's not making an ordinance for the church. We don't see this practiced by the church, either in the book of Acts or taught in the epistles. It's, it's not an ordinance of the church, but it's an illustration. It's an analogy. I see something that you need, and so I'm going to meet that need. And when you see something that somebody needs, you meet that need. And in that same way, you do. When they came in for dinner... Their feet were dirty. They've been walking around on the dusty streets of Jerusalem for a long time, and they're going to sit down at the table and recline and put their feet up there next to somebody else. They need to wash their feet. He sees a need, and he does it. So he says, Most assuredly, I say unto you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Are we greater than our Lord? Do we have more importance than the Lord Jesus Christ who saw a need and lowered himself like a slave to meet that need? Put himself as the tapestry underneath their feet? No, we're not greater than our Lord. We have those needs to meet too. Well, let me bring this to a close by pointing out these three things, if you will. Verse 3, the word let. Verse 4, let. Verse 5, let. Verse 3, let nothing, and that is don't let these things come into your life and spoil you. Verse 4, but let each of you, in other words, make sure these things happen. And then in verse 5, that we'll come back to next week, so let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Be like your Lord. There's a great song by uh, Kate Wilkinson written 100 years ago, May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day, by his love and power controlling all I do and say. So it's a beautiful little song, and that needs to be part of our lives. Stand now with me, if you will, as we think about these things, and as we bow our heads in prayer in a moment, and we sing a song together, 
let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and invite him to speak to our mind and heart and uh, ask ourselves where we are as, follow, as followers of Christ. Let's pray. Uh, Father, th these great words of this wonderful text, I'm sure that we skim over the top of all that is there that, we could, be, that, that could be said. And yet, Father, the descriptions of our Lord Jesus Christ in his glory and his, in his humiliation. And there are words there for us to follow. Only you know our hearts. Only you know our minds. You know what it is that we need this morning. And you know, Father, uh, how you are convicting our hearts and drawing us to. So as we think and as we sing, may, Father, we open our hearts to you, move us in the way that we need to be. And use us, Father, as your servants in this world to be like-minded so that we may be like Christ. So bless in this time of invitation, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing a song. Our invitation is open as we sing. I'm always at the front to help you if you want to come even as we sing. Or when our service is closed and others are leaving, uh, you may still come. And let's, let the Lord uh, deal with you in the way that uh, he has today. Gordon, come and lead us in the song.